Good evening, dummies. Episode 122. It is wonderful to be with you tonight. And also, hello to the dum-dums. It's pretty cool. The dum-dums are the trolls. And I want to feed the trolls. You're welcome on my site. Release your anger and frustrations. Let the hate flow through you. Let it out. I know your mommy and daddy didn't hold you enough. I know you're not getting attention from Ben Shapiro. I know you're not getting attention from the Young Turks or whatever side you're on. So you are going to come to a small-time podcast and try to get my goat. You're not going to do it. Just come on. I had an English bloke, a rather cheeky fellow, come over and talk about pennies and pounds to the pence. And I just told him that we fought a revolution, so I don't ever have to listen to the English again. Another guy called me a neocon. I'm a war hawk. I'm a liberal war hawk who wants to create war. Interesting. I love people who talk about war who never served or never took part in a war. It's interesting. It's You heard the word neocon and said, oh, that sounds really degrading. I'm going to use that, but you don't know what it is. Just like if I call you a cuck, you're going to have to look it up. Look it up. It's an alt-right term. So now I'm going to get labeled as alt-right. It doesn't matter. It's cool. It's good to have people having conversation. And people are fairly respectful. Nobody's told me to F off or burn in hell. There's been some people like, I'm leaving. I'm not listening to your crap. Or you suck. Whatever. That's cool. I I don't mind. But there's genuine people who have conversation and want to talk about this. Some people are saying, it's amazing. I love the video. And other people are saying, I don't agree. And that is what this show is about. And I will never ban somebody for having an opinion. You only get kicked out when you want to talk about killing socialists. Okay, you need to leave, okay? Please, we we don't need to go there. We don't need to do that type of stuff, but enjoy, have fun, dum-dums and dummies. Dummies are the classic don't unfriend me listener who's here to have a good time, maybe have a few pops, get drunk, not take everything so seriously, not follow every single thing I say and put it under a microscope and find out if I maybe am historically accurate or I thumb something, because most assuredly, I will. They don't have professional writers. The dum-dums are the people who just want mommy and daddy attention, and I'm here for you, too. I think you're a very special kind of sucker, and my dum-dums are important to me just as much as my dummies. What are we going to talk about tonight in episode 122? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a good show. We're going to talk about, first, that the news is bad for you. And this is consumption at a massive scale. And I don't think so much that journalism is bad, but there are no more true journalists left. So we're going to talk about how news is bad for you. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your psyche. It's bad for your sleep patterns, your anxiety. I think you'll enjoy that. And then I want to dive into this controversial topic. And this seems to work for me is to do something very controversial and something kind of lighthearted. The news isn't lighthearted, but this whole hate crime thing that's been going on. If you ever want to know what the media's design is, listen to the news when there is nothing about that type of news. Let me explain. Just so I can preface this so you can get pulled in and want to stay. The news will do soft articles. These are articles with a lot of supposition. There is a a lot of speculation involved with them. They don't necessarily make up things, but they don't use 
facts or they don't use journals or eyewitnesses or case studies. They just kind of spitball and throw things out there. CNN and the liberal media has been doing this for a while, that hate crimes are up against Asian Americans, and they use this against Donald Trump because they realize nothing else would stick. So they started all of this insurrection and then the China virus, calling it the Wuhan virus and all of this other stuff. We're going to talk about that tonight, and I'm going to kind of show you how the media is wrong. And I think it'll be a fun episode. So let's do that. Episode 122. Let's listen to the intro. Let me uh, also walk you through the joke tonight. I I was going to tell you a joke. And I really wanted to talk about COVID with you, but I was pretty sure that 99.8% of you wouldn't get it. Recorded. From an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you, everybody. It is almost Friday. Cannot wait. Thursday night. It's kind of close to Friday, and that's important because I am ready for the weekend. The Avs play tonight. We play Minnesota, Minnesota, which should be a good game. Minnesota's playing really well this year. And for my Minnesota listeners, there are a couple of you. Um, don't want to talk about the game when it's on, but I'm proud of Minnesota. They're doing well this year. They got rid of Dubnik. That's a big thing. Got rid of a few coaches that were dragging them down. So we'll see what happens tonight. I think the Avs are getting healthy. But remember, they were missing 40% of their roster. They're still missing two all-stars and a goalie and then two starting forwards. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, you didn't come here for hockey. You came here to talk about Don't Unfriend Me. Who am I? My name is Matt Spear. I am obviously the host of Don't Unfriend Me. It's fantastic to meet you. Would love for you to contribute. I answer pretty much every post, and I'm going to continue to do that. If you have a comment that's related to me that's actually not asinine, I will reply. And sometimes I'll be a smart aleck, and other times I'll agree with you, and other times I don't know what I'll do. But I enjoy talking to you. All I ask is in the end, you don't unfriend me. Don't forget... Stop by www.donunfriendme.com. You can get all the podcasts, the videos, all that other type of stuff. You can actually join me right over here and subscribe, like, and follow. Here are all my social tags. Let's get started on the show tonight. News is most assuredly bad for you, and giving up reading it will make you happier and have a better quality of life. And it's not just reading. It's also the watching, the hours upon hours. And I look back at my own life. Before I started this show, I would consume probably four to 12 hours of news a day. It's all I watched. I watched it constantly. And I've realized that the further away from watching Fox or CNN or MSNBC or C-SPAN or one type of channel or news medium is that my tolerance for both sides has actually expanded. And my critical nature of both sides has been expanded. Folks, it does an amazing thing. It kind of opens up your brain. It just gives you a a power wash with that rainbow wax that has rain repellent in and makes you uh, impervious to be penetrated again. I've watched plenty of news since then, and it just doesn't sink in like it used to. But I would literally be a pig at the trough like everybody and just taking it all in. In the past few decades, the fortunate among us have recognized 
the hazards of living with an overabundance of food, obesity, diabetes, and have started to change our diets. I know I have. It's something I constantly think about and I take care of myself. And that's why I drink my wonderful shake made by Define. I need a plug. But most of us do not yet understand that news is to the mind what sugar is to the body. News is easy to digest. The media feeds us small, tiny bites of trivial matter, tidbits that don't really concern our lives at all and don't require much thinking. That's why we experience almost no saturation, unlike reading books and long magazine articles, which require thinking and to engage your brain. We can swallow limitless quantities of news flashes, which are brightly colored and candy for our mind. Today, we have reached the same point in relation to information that we faced 20 years ago in regards to food and overabundance of it. Every time they come back from commercial, no matter what station you're on, you will see news update, news flash, breaking news. Every single commercial, there's breaking news. It used to be once a day, once a week, once a month, this would happen. Now it's every minute of the day. You must stay to find the breaking news that is not breaking. It just happens to be a segue into the next segment. We're beginning to recognize how toxic news can be. News misleads. And then take the following event. In an example, a car drives over a bridge and the bridge collapses. What does the news media focus on? The car, the person in the car, where he came from, where he planned to go, how he experienced the crash if he survived. But what is all that besides irrelevant? What is relevant? The structural stability of the bridge. That's the underlying risk that has been lurking and could lurk in other bridges. But the car is flashy. It's dramatic. It's a person, non-abstract. And it's news that's cheap to produce. News leads us to kind of walk around with the completely wrong risk map in our heads. Terrorism, for example, is overrated. Chronic stress is underrated. The collapse of Lehman Brothers is overrated. Fiscal irresponsibility is underrated. Astronauts are overrated. Nurses are underrated. We are not rational enough to be, expo- rational enough to be exposed to the press. Watching an airplane crash on television is going to change your attitude toward that risk. Regardless of its real probability, if you think you can compensate with the strength of your own inner contemplation, you are wrong. Bankers and economists who have powerful incentives to compensate for newsborne hazards have shown that they cannot. The only solution, cut yourself off from news consumption entirely. News is irrelevant. Out of approximately 10,000 news stories you have read in the last 12 months, name one because you consumed it, allowed you to make a better decision about a serious matter affecting your life, your career, or your business. The point is, the consumption of news is irrelevant to you, but people find it very difficult to recognize what's relevant. It's much easier to recognize what's new. The relevant versus the new is the fundamental battle of the current age. Media organizations want you to believe that news offers you some sort of competitive advantage. Many fall for that. We get anxious when we're cut off from the flow of news. In reality, news consumption is a competitive disadvantage. The less less news you consume, the bigger advantage you have. I want you all to think back after Donald Trump had lost the election. What did the next day look like for you? 
Did you watch as much as you had watched previously? Did you sit down and glue yourself to the seat? What about in January? What about the day that he left office? How much news have you watched? And I promise you it's gone down because the ratings say so. Were we a lost child without a family or did we just lose our favorite puppy? It felt that way. What are we to do with our lives? News has no explanatory power. News items are bubbles popping on the surface of a a deeper world. Will accumulating facts help you understand the world? Sadly, no. The relationship is inverted. The important stories are non-stories. Slow, powerful movements that develop below journalist radar but have a transforming effect overall. The more news factoids you digest, the less of the big picture you will understand. If more information leads to higher economic success, we would expect journalists to be at the top of the financial pyramid. It's not the case. News is toxic to your body. It constantly triggers the limbic system. Panicky stories spur the release of cascades of cortisol, which is the fat maker of your body. This deregulates your immune system and inhibits the release of growth hormones. In other words, your body finds itself in a state of chronic stress. High levels of cortisol cause impaired digestion, lack of growth, cell, hair, and bone, nervousness, and susceptibility to infections. The other potential side effects include fear, aggression, tunnel vision, and desensitization. News increases cognitive errors. News feeds the mother of all cognitive errors, confirmation bias. In the words of Warren Buffett, what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. News exacerbates this flaw. We become prone to overconfidence, take stupid risk, and misjudge opportunities. It also exacerbates another cognitive error, the story bias. Our brains crave stories that make sense, even if they don't correspond to reality. Any journalist who writes, the market moved because of X, or the company went bankrupt because of why, is an idiot. It's a complete fallacy. It's a straw man argument. I am fed up with this cheap way of explaining the world. News inhibits thinking. Thinking requires concentration. Concentration requires uninterrupted time. This is a great opportunity for a Yoda impersonation. Thinking requires concentration. Concentration requires uninterrupted time. News pieces are specifically engineered to interrupt you. They are like viruses that steal attention for their own purposes. News makes us shallow thinkers. But it's worth, worse than that. News severely affects memory. There are two types of memory. There's long-range memories, and that capacity is nearly infinite. But working memory is limited to a certain amount of slippery data. The path from short-term to long-term memory is a choke point in the brain. But anything you want to understand must pass through it. If this passageway is disrupted, nothing gets through. Because news disrupts concentration, it weakens comprehension. Online news has an even worse impact. In a 2001 study, two scholars in Canada showed that comprehension declines as the number of hyperlinks in a document increases. Why? I'll tell you why, but have you ever tried to read Wikipedia? Perfect example. I can't get through the first two sentences without clicking on the underlying link. Why? Because it's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. But the real reason is because whenever a link appears, your brain has to at least make the conscious choice not to click, which in itself is distracting. News is an intentional interruption system. News works like a drug. As stories develop, we want to know how they continue. 
With hundreds of arbitrary storylines in our heads, this craving is increasingly compelling and hard to ignore. Scientists used to think that the dense connections formed among the 100 billion, billion neurons inside our skulls were largely fixed by the time we reached adulthood. Today, today we know that is not the case. The old adage that you can't teach an old dog new tricks or you can't change is absolutely ridiculous. Nerve cells routinely break old connections and form new ones. The more news we consume, the more we exercise the neural circuits devoted to skimming and multitasking while ignoring those used for reading deeply and thinking with profound focus. Most news consumers, even if they used to be avid book readers, have lost the ability to absorb lengthy articles or books. After four or five pages, they get tired. Their concentration vanishes. They become restless. And it's not everybody. I can read a book in a day. And all the people are going to come on and tell me, I'm not sure. I read a book every five seconds. I, I get it. But most people, we're talking about the largest percentage of the population, not you, Stephen Hawking. It's not because they got older or their schedules became more erroneous. It's because the physical structure of their brains has changed. News wastes time. If you read the newspaper for 15 minutes each morning, then check the news for 15 minutes during lunch and 15 minutes before you go to bed, then add five minutes here and there when you're at work, then count distractions and refocusing time. You will lose at least a half a day every week. Information is no longer a scarce commodity, but attention is. You are not irresponsible with your money, reputation, or health. Why give away your mind? News makes us passive. News stories are overwhelmingly about things you cannot influence or change. The daily repetition of news about things we can't act upon makes us passive, but it also makes us aggressive. It grinds us down until we adopt a worldview that is pessimistic, desensitized, sarcastic, and fatalistic. You see that no more than on episode 119 with people literally calling the end of the world because I said Bill Maher made a great point. The scientific term is learned helplessness. It's a bit of a stretch, but I would not be surprised if news consumption at least partially contributes to the widespread disease of depression. News kills creativity. How many times can you see the death of somebody on the news? How many times can you hear that the world is going to die of a plague? How many times have we thought that the Middle East is going to create Armageddon and the end of days? There's only so much the human mind can take. If you had to watch a movie for two hours that resembled the news, would you watch it? Or would you walk out of the theater and say there is no plot, there is no meaning? There is no ecliptical point. There is no climb. There is no peak. There is no substance to the movie. And that is the news in itself. That was a really good point. I just made that one up. This is one reason that mathematicians, novelists, composers, and entrepreneurs often produce their most creative works at a young age. Their brains enjoy a wide, uninhabited space that emboldens them to come up with a pursue novel and pursue novel ideas. I don't know a single truly creative mind who is a news junkie, not a writer, not a composer, mathematician, physician, scientist, musician, designer, architect, or painter. One of my very good friends, one of the smartest people I know when it comes to creativity, his name is Brad. I actually just texted him today. He doesn't consume the news at a rapid clip. And in fact, when he did, he'll probably tell you that he went down the rabbit hole and was less creative. I would not have created this show if I continued to watch the news because my day would be filled with nonsense. 
and distract me from what I could truly do. And whether you appreciate that or not really is immaterial. It makes my life better and more consistent. It would probably help you too. On the other hand, I know a bunch of viciously uncreative minds who consume news like drugs, and I used to be one of them. If you want to come up with old solutions, read the news. If you are looking for new solutions, don't. Society needs journalism, but in a different way. Investigative journalism is always relevant. We need reporting that polices our institutions and uncovers the truth, but important findings don't have to arrive in a form of news. Long journal articles and in-depth books are good as well. The media changed. The media used to be investigative journalism, and now it is editorialization. It's opinion. And that used to be the one thing that they would keep out of reporting. And news media, like the Hippocratic Oath, would say that opinion does not live here. It doesn't have oxygen. We report the facts. That is long since dead. When six women of Asian descent were shot and killed in Atlanta on Tuesday, a number of news outlets focused on hate crimes and attacks on the Asian American communities. The alleged shooter said racism toward Asians wasn't the motive, and police have noted that the shootings may not be racially motivated, and they have no proof of that whatsoever. White supremacy, hate, and racism were issues covered by the right, left, and center. Left and center-rated outlets more often place the shootings in the context of the recent rise in the number of hate crimes against Asian Americans, which is severely overbloated, and I will go over that with you tonight. The White House implied that the Trump administration's rhetoric on the coronavirus pandemic elevated violent threats against Asian Americans. Now, when they say there has been a 150% increase in hate crimes, that's absolutely true. But that really isn't all the number. It doesn't necessarily tell you everything, that it's really only about 47 more crimes over the entire U.S. than there was last year. But if they also look at the... I'm jumping ahead. Get excited. Let me go ahead and read this part, and then we'll put all of it together. At the most basic level of analysis, experts view the surge as the result of a worst-case confluence of forces, the stresses of a pandemic, and the intensity of the protests that followed the killing of George Floyd that pushed already frayed neighborhoods into spirals of violence. And it couldn't possibly be the call to defund the police. And it couldn't possibly be that all of these Democratic-run cities and states are where all of the violence is happening. God forbid that that would be the case, because that would be accurate reporting, and the media doesn't do that. Those things can partly explain why the bloodshed wasn't evenly distributed. Some places remain as peaceful as ever, and others, the rise in murders, was even more dramatic than it was nationally. Chicago saw a 37% year-over-year increase between the first halves of 2019 and 2020. And in New York City, by December 20th, 2020, there had been a 40% increase over the 2019 numbers. Violent crime is one of the many areas of behavioral science Science, where there tends to be a stark divide between how lay people, including many journalists, discuss the subject and how experts do. Mainstream observers often pose it simple, unicasual explanations for rises or dips in the crime rate. Experts tend to view things as much more complicated and on a longer timeline than one year, including myself. The social mechanisms driving changes in the violent crime rate are complex and intertwined and not fully understood, and it isn't always clear how shocks to one element of the system affect others or the whole. 
At the moment, the FBI has released violent crime data for just the first nine months of 2020, so researchers are beginning to unravel exactly what happened and consider ways to stem the tide. It's normal for the violent crime rate to vary a bit year to year, of course, but 2020 marked a generally historical increase. If you wanted to think of this as potentially erasing several decades worth of progress, that wouldn't be an overstatement said Max Kopiston, an assistant professor at the Department of Policy Analysis and Management at Cornell University, as well as an affiliate at the University of Chicago Crime Lab and Education Lab. In Chicago, for instance, Kapustin said that the murder rate is back to where it was in the mid-late 1990s. But broader context is important here, too. At a national level, even after this terrible year, the rate of violent crime in America is nowhere near where it was in the peak of the second half of the 20th century. We're still far away from that. To take just one example, the, fi- the final per 100,000 homicide rate for 2020 will likely be significantly higher than 2019, which was 58 but it will still be well below the equivalent figures for 1970 or 1980, 8.8 and 10.4 respectively. As long as it is a short-term rise rather than a sustained one, we will remain under those historic level. The real story is this, in summation, is that we have seen levels of hate crime lower with the Middle Eastern population and increase with the Asian population. We saw the opposite during the Gulf War and 9-11 as an increase in hate crimes towards the Middle Eastern population was the highest it's been in years. We saw this during the 1980s against the homosexual community before hate crime policy was enforced and the governance umbrella covered the lesbian and gay community. But now we are seeing a massive increase. In fact, the number one hate crime against any demographic is transgenders. Second is Jewish Americans. It's not Asian Americans. Jewish Americans are actually the second most targeted. We've seen this before, civil rights, and many years after, African Americans were subject to hate crimes, and still are. As I said before, we have seen anti-Jewish sentiment during Iranian conflicts under Carter and Reagan and pretty much any time a Democrat is in office. We saw this with the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. The truth is, Americans blame China for this virus, period, plain and simple as they blamed all Japanese for Pearl Harbor. And this isn't the mass of population. We'll go into that. But Americans do indeed blame China for the virus. The name, the location, the way it was released is all semantics. The truth is majority of Americans could care less about creating a form of reciprocity against Asian Americans. All the polls show a very benign approach to the outward blame game towards the Asian population. In fact, even Google and Twitter comments and searches have dropped and not been trending topics or a top search for almost a year, minus one key phrase, China virus, which peaked in January. Furthermore, the racial epitaphs have also been insignificant during this time. You know the words that people say about Asians and what they call them, and I'm not going to repeat them here. Those words have not seen a spike. And when you see hate crimes, you will usually see those words to be more commonly used on open forums and social networks and in search terms. The reality is the naming of a virus isn't having an impact. It is the fact that COVID originated in Wuhan, China, and some people are just idiots and blame anyone who looks Asian American. They couldn't tell the difference between a North Korean and a Japanese if you gave them a million dollars or some Paps Blue Ribbon and a new trailer. 
This is just the way it is. But the media is using this to sell market points and share and subscriptions. They never let a crisis go to waste in an effort to support the narrative. Here are 17 other diseases named after the population, after populations or places, just to put things in perspective. The West Nile virus, named after the West Nile district of Uganda, discovered in 1937. The Guinea worm, named by the European explorers for the Guinea coast of West Africa in the 1600s. Rocky Mountain spotted fever, named after the mountain range spreading across western North America, first recognized in 1896 in Idaho. The Lyme disease, named after a large outbreak of the disease, occurred in Lyme and Old Lyme, Connecticut in the 70s. Ross River fever, named after a mosquito found to cause the disease in the Ross River of Queensland, Australia by the 1960s. The first major outbreak occurred in 1928. The Omsk hemorrhagic, ooh, that's what it is, the Omsk hemorrhagic fever, named after its 1940s discovery in Omsk, Russia. Ebola Hemorrhagic, 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 haddock, hemorrhoid, the Ebola hemorrhoid fever named in 1976 for the Ebola River. It's H-E-M-O-R-R-A-G-I-C, hemorrhagic, 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 holy crap. For the, This is the way I've been since I've been this tall. If I can't pronounce a word, I have to have a dictionary. I have to look it up. It is what it is. Someone help me out. For the Ebola River in Zaire, located in Central Africa. Zaire. See, I caught myself. Zaire, located in Central Africa. Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, also known as the camel flu. MERS was first reported in Saudi Arabia in 2012. And all cases are linked to those who traveled to the Middle Eastern Peninsula. Valley Fever. Valley Fever earned its nickname from the 1930s outbreak, San Joaquin Valley of California, through its first case that came from Argentina. Marburg virus disease, named after Marburg, Germany in 1967. Norovirus, named after Norwalk, Ohio, after an outbreak in 1968. Zika, fever first, discovered in 1947 and named after the Zika forest in Uganda. Japanese encephalitis, named after its first case in 19, or 1871 in Japan. German measles, named after the German doctors who first described it in the 18th century. The disease is also called, sometimes referred to as rubella. Spanish flu, while the true origins of the Spanish flu remain unknown, the disease earned its name after Spain began to report deaths from the flu in its newspapers. Lhasa fever, named after being found in Lhasa, Nigeria in 1969. And Legionnaire's disease, named in 76, following an outbreak of people contracting the lung infection after attending an American Legion convention in Philadelphia. This killer is not going to gain notoriety on my show. I won't have it here. It don't unfriend me. My wife and I lived in Colorado during Columbine and the Aurora shooting and giving these people oxygen is what fuels more of these people to create these abhorrent outcomes. The shooter of the three salons has said this is not racially motivated and the investigators have also said there is no evidence of it at this time. This had to do with a sexual addiction that the shooter had towards the locations and clients and wanted it eliminated. Now, they're already making parallels between Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy and the son of Sam and other people who've used sexual reasoning to justify what they've done. But it doesn't matter. In the most simplistic form, the guy's batshit crazy like all the rest who do things like this. There is one consistent number that always eludes the left media. These hate crimes are predominantly owned, over 86% of them, 
by liberal cities with some of the harshest gun laws, rising crime, and cries to defund the police. We can sugarcoat it all we want. But the jury is in, and more police and better mental health locations are what is necessary to quash these shootings as much as we possibly can. Soon the U.S. will open again, and the shootings will begin anew. So will the nauseating arguments that will never solve the real underlying problem. Not all mentally ill people are candidates for outpatient therapy, and we have to keep them secure for the rest of society. Folks, that's it for me tonight. I hope you appreciate it. It's just my opinion. Whether you agree or disagree, all I ask is that you don't unfriend me. Please give me a like, a follow, a share right here. You can click the little red envelope in the corner, and you can subscribe on YouTube, or you can follow me anywhere you want. Facebook, Instagram, whatever, go to www.dontunfriendme.com. Stop by and say hi. You can leave a comment. You can check out the blog. Do whatever else you want. And you know what else you can do? You can save a veteran's life. 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. Veteran Crisis Hotline is absolutely a great resource for veterans who are suffering from uh, traumatic stress, TBIs, anxiety, depression, It's really hard for veterans to talk about their service and the things that they went through, and sometimes they don't want to. If you have a problem, you can call me. I will pick up the phone with you, or I'll fly out there. I don't care whatever it takes. If that doesn't work, go to don'tunfriendme.com, click on the VCL link, and you will be connected to a VCL operator free of charge, and you do not have to be a veteran to take advantage. They never turn anyone away. They are a great organization, and please help support vets today. Folks, that is all I have. Tomorrow is episode 123. I'm excited to do it. It is Friday. It'll be fun. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Enjoy hockey if you watch it. Basketball starts today if you watch that crazy-ass sport that I don't watch anymore. But either way, thanks for taking a part of Don't Unfriend Me. Be nicer to each other. Be civil. I used to say this every time. Find someone you've unfriended. A good friend who you don't agree with. I don't care where they are, left, right, center. That's immaterial. Are they a good human being? Are they a person who you miss in your life? And if they are, reach out. Stop using this crazy anti-social platform. And yes, I'm speaking to you on it because that's how we reach people today. But picking up a phone, writing a letter, walking next door and knocking on the door, whatever it takes, let's get back to being respectful. Let's get back to listening to each other, loving each other. And no, this isn't a peace, love, dope conversation. I just want you to get a friend back when you guys have decided no longer to be friends over something as stupid as who the president of the United States is. It's too much. Have a good night, folks. I'll see you for 123. I'm out.